welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 243, the Philip Vanderpool Q&A seminar from the 2019 NWTF convention, and I am your host and the guy who stinks at farming. Not really, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in just a minute. But right now, we are 268 days, 12 hours, 23 minutes, and 23 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So, The reason that I was jokingly saying that I stink at farming is, and I can't remember if I told you guys this or not, I think that I did, but right around the middle of May, I disked up my fields on my piece of property that I own south of Birmingham and planted some chufa. So I had already disked the fields, oh, I don't know, two or three times prior to that. And so that particular day I went down And I sprayed the fields with Roundup to kill the weeds that were there, let it dry, disked the fields under again, and planted chufa. Then I covered the chufa up, and I left to go on a hunting trip. And actually, I think I left to go on two hunting trips, but I can't remember the exact date I put that in the ground. Anyway, the chufa sat in the ground for three weeks with no rain. And I haven't been down there to check on my planting until this past weekend. And when I got down there, I pulled up to the fields and I thought, well, the fields look good. There's not any weeds, but the chufa should be fairly tall, tall enough to where I should be seeing it. So I get out of the truck, I walk over and I start walking through the fields. And there's literally thousands of little bitty craters dug in the ground. So because we went so long without getting any rain, the turkeys, the coons, the crows, and probably some deer dug up the majority of the chufa that I planted. There's some chufa that's up out of the ground that's probably about three or four inches tall, but I mean you could probably count the number of chufa plants that are actually growing on an acre. Really it's about three quarters of an acre, but you could count that literally on your hands and toes. So I'm going to go back down and give this one more shot because we're starting to get rain fairly regularly here around the Birmingham area. So my hope is I'll get some more in the ground and possibly we'll get some rain 
and it will have a chance to mature before the first frost comes, which really probably won't be until the end of October-ish around here. So should be safe. The chufa needs about 100 days, 90 to 100 days to mature, so we're right up about the 1st of July. And fortunately for me, I still have about 25 pounds of chufa seed left over from my planting. So I won't be able to plant as much. I'll only be able to do about a half of an acre without buying another box from the NWTF. But a half acre is better than no acre. So looks like I'll be getting some tractor time this weekend. Okay, I was going to play my second New York hunt for you guys, but the J-O-B has different plans for me this week. And I just don't have the 12 to 14 extra hours to spend this week that that episode is going to require of me to put together. I also still have another episode of Turkey Soup for you guys to get you caught up on turkey news, but I didn't want to do two turkey soup episodes back to back. So today I'm bringing you guys some content from the NWTF convention and sports show from this past February in Nashville. I'm going to play the Q&A seminar that Philip Vanderpool put on in Ray I's absence. I think Philip did a great job filling in for Ray on very short notice. The seminar is a little bit over an hour long so I'm going to quit flapping my gums and get you into the seminar. Listen in closely, and I'll see you guys on the other side. I don't know most of you guys know coming in here and stuff there. I'm kind of filling in for Ray I because he had an emergency, and uh, John asked me to come up here and do this. I normally do a video presentation here and really try to blow it out of the park, but since we just kind of got caught in this, I want to talk about what you guys talk, want to talk about in, when it comes to turkey hunting. And I'll get up here, I'll probably carry this old mic around. I've got some calls and stuff. We can talk box calls, slate, mouth calls, whatever y'all want to talk about. But I'll probably start this out and tell you how I got into this whole thing. I don't even know if it's time to start or not. Do you? 12 minutes. 12, oh, well, we got a little time. But we can talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. <laughs> um, how about deer hunting? Everybody have a good deer season? Because most, most turkey hunters deer hunt. I mean, did y'all have a good no. season? Did it really? Oh, Let too many of them walk and then ended up at the end of the year not having one. Buddy, been there and done that a lot of times. I know, you, you know. know. I wish I'd have gone back on <laughs> I know, always waiting. I, I do got a story that never happened to me before. I got run up a tree with a bear this year, so. Buddy, I tell you what. Taught me to always go out in the woods with a pistol. <laughs> what? Now, where were you at when that happened? Uh, about an hour east of here. Really? North of Cookville. No sow with cubs, or do you? Did was there an old sow with some cubs? It was a big old boar. Oh boy! About a six foot, two hundred fifty pound boar. Did you, did you end up having to put him down? Or? No, I didn't put him down. I pooped on him. But <laughs> <laughs> y'all hear that? He pooped on him. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause all, I, all I had was a, a crossbow and a couple of bolts. I didn't, at the time, I didn't have a gun. <laughs> I got, that's funny you said that. I got caught out there. It's been a couple of years ago, but out scouting in the summer, you know, putting some trail cameras and stuff. And I walked up on an old sow and had, had two cubs. 
And dude, I'm telling you, I learned a lesson real quick. She she huffed them up the tree. They went right up the tree, and then she stood there and made some of the most ungodly sounds I've ever heard. And she was not backing down. This one just one of my slim gems. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's what he come in for. Oh, he got through eating one. I know he smelled it. Came he came right to my tree. Mm. Yeah, we got quite a few bears up there where I'm from. There in Arkansas, and uh, I'm up around Harrison, but I'm born and raised at Jasper there on the Buffalo River there. Graduated high school in Camden. Camden. I had an uncle, Uncle Emmett Vanderpool, lived down there in Camden. Sure did. You bet. You betcha. Oh, I got y'all. I can't wait for turkey season. I think it's going to be a good year if we can. <laughs> if we don't get washed out with all this rain and moisture, it's crazy. I wish we'd get more kids in here. That breaks my heart not seeing these kids. It's just we're losing our numbers like crazy, guys. I mean, it's really bad. And now with this CWD outbreak and stuff, it's causing a lot of hunters to quit hunting. It's sad. I hate to see it. I sure there do. There goes our political voice in the future, too. I, exactly. But, you know, um, it's, it's funny. We talk about our kids and stuff, but now that I became a grandpa, and, and I don't have any grandsons. I've got three grandbaby girls, and my oldest is only four now. But I want to say that I got her started out there at two years old in the summertime, and I'd put some of that game hide. They got a product called Alimitic, and I'm not trying to sell you Alimitic by no means, but it does to keep them sticks and chiggers off them kids. And I got her out there doing that and checking trail cameras and she honestly has taught me, I think, to help other people to get their kids involved. And when I say that, we'd be out there checking those trail cameras. She'd say, Papa, what's this? Papa, what's that? And it got to me to thinking, man, these kids, they're, they're intrigued about a granddaddy long leg or a roly-poly. Y'all remember the roly-polies and stuff like that? That's how she she got me doing this. And so now we're talking deer tracks and I'll show her a white oak tree, talk about it, talk about the white oak acorn and stuff like that. But she taught me things that we can get our kids out there and get them involved in the outdoors even though they're not legal to go hunting. You don't have to wait till they're 10 or 12 years old and that's our problem because by the time they're 10 or 12 years old, we've lost that. They're on the computers and everything else. We've lost that. They're doing the social media thing and, and it's, it's sad to see that going. I mean, and we don't get these guys involved, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble because I can tell you right now, a lot of my folks there, uh, we had a big outbreak of that CWD there in Arkansas where I'm at. It's really starting to shut down the hunters. People are afraid to eat the meat. I don't know. So it's, it's, it's sad to see, but no, I just want to be here with you guys. And if you got questions on anything I can help you with, because, and I don't mean this in a bragging manner, but bow hunting is, is my thing. And Turkey hunting, what I love about it, though, is it's how I can help introduce people to hunting. And it doesn't matter how old they are. My wife started hunting last year for the first time, 55 years old, shot her first turkey. Not only did she shoot one, she shot four. We went on some trips, and she's eat up with it. 
she's realized what she's been missing. And I did not force that on her. So we'll probably go ahead and get started here, guys. I'm just hanging out. I'm just going to wing it. And this is an open topic that we can talk about anything you want to evolving around turkey hunting. Because I, like I say, I've been blessed in this hunting industry to do pretty much about everything in front of the camera, behind the camera setups, how I can teach you how to set up cameras to get, get your hunts on video that makes it pretty simple for you where you don't have to because a lot of times when that old turkey's coming and gobbling and stuff, it's them old nerves can take over and, and you forget to hit the record button or whatever. But I'm here to accommodate y'all. You didn't bring mine. <laughs> You just got one? <laughs> Anyhow, I'm Philip Vanderpool. I've been in this old hunting industry a long time. And where I call home is a place called Harrison, Arkansas. If anybody knows where Branson, Missouri's at, I'm about 30, 40 miles south of Branson there, right in the heart of the Ozark Mountains. That's where I cut my teeth turkey hunting and deer hunting and I'll tell you, I've been blessed, and you know, long story short, I'll just kind of tell you how I got started in this. I, uh, I've always been a hunter. Daddy taught me well. Shot my first squirrel when I was four years old with an old single shot Ethica 22, lever action. And my daddy actually handed the gun. He, did, he wasn't holding it for me or nothing when I shot that first squirrel. And I'm just telling you, I've been hooked on it ever since. And um, so basically my start in the hunting industry here, just, just a brief thing, was with hunter specialties. If anybody knows the HS truck when David Carmen Forbes owned it, uh, I was blessed, uh, long story short, I just, to got, what got me started, I was already a hunter, but I loved the camera work, and I was always videoing everything I was doing anyway. So when the digital technology started coming out, I basically said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I just went and invested and bought the best equipment that I could possibly afford, and I started videoing people's hunts. And I did a lot of that stuff for nothing just to get my foot in the door. That's how I got started. and. So I was freelancing basically and subcontracting and it's all about meeting the right place, people at the right places. Coming to these shows, meeting the folks and before you know it, I landed a job with Hunter Specialties. They seemed to like my work ethic and like what I was doing. And that's how I got started in this. And I videoed everybody from Blake Shelton to all the big names, Stan Potts, everybody out there. And they were, I, so I'm blessed to learn a lot of their secrets, how they hunt, all these professional hunters. You know, Eddie Salter. Ray I. I've been with Ray. We've sat there many a time and they're together and so you pick up and you learn. You know what guys do that that's the best techniques for them and you pick up all that stuff. And then with my hunting knowledge and stuff as well, uh, I've just been blessed and and I'm going to quick tell you a quick story with Dave and Carmen Forbes and this is the God's truth. <laughs> and I'm telling off on myself but this is the truth. Eddie Salter, and we had Miss Carmen Forbes. And if anybody knows Carmen, she was the boss at Hunter Specialties. 
And this was when I was, this was kind of the make it, break it moment. We were up on their farm in Kirksville, Missouri. Turkey started gobbling before daylight. We could hear this turkey gobbling. We're sitting in the old HS truck out there. And we get out. Eddie shuts the door. The alarm goes off on the truck. I mean, it goes off. And here we are. And it's going off and going off and going off. Instead of the shutting the turkeys up, every turkey in that whole country must have been gone. They must have been 15 or 20 of them. Just, they couldn't shut their, <laughs> it was just, and we finally got it shut off and we decided to go this one. He seemed to be the closest, easiest to set up on. We get there, we get them set up. I've got, now this is back when these were big cameras, okay? I'm talking, I don't know if y'all, some of these great big ones with the big lenses with the double double lens and stuff on them, they weighed 40, 40 pounds probably wired out there. But I'm carrying all this beta cam equipment in, tripod, and I get set up, and we got Carmen there, and this turkey's gobbling, and the hens are yelping, Eddie's back here calling, and Lord have mercy, it hits. Here I am on my first hunt with the owner of Hunter Specialties, and my belly is going, just rolling. And this has never happened to me in a situation like that. I'm sitting here, and this turkey's gobbling, and I just know they're going to pitch on the limb. Well, the way we set up, we got a ditch behind us like this. And I'm telling you, y'all, my eyes are rolling in the back of my head. I'm just, I'm telling you, it's, it's something's going to have to happen. Yeah, I don't know if y'all ever been there in a situation like that. And I'm like, holy smokes, here I am. I'm looking at Carmen, and I'm just going, I'm, I'm biting my knuckles. And I'm telling you, I'm, you know, I'm pinching it. <laughs> and I finally, I look back there, and I see Eddie, and he's not paying no attention. She's not paying no attention. And I said, oh, boy. And I usually keep a camo cover around that tripod like this and around that camera lens, so I kind of had it hid. I thought, I think I'm going to have to do something. So I just slid off down in that ditch. And you talk about the back door trots and the chimney side squats, I had them. But let's just say I got it out of the way quick. I had them old wet wipes that we used to carry, those old hunter wet wipes. I got the job taken care of, and I slipped back up there. And to this day, I don't think they ever knew. I don't think they ever knew what happened there on that situation. And that was my very first hunt with Carmen Forbes. They what? I said they will. I'll see Eddie here this afternoon. Yeah, Eddie's my buddy now. They. Eddie Seller is, is, if y'all don't know Eddie, you need to stop by and see him. He's doing his own call production and stuff now, and he's, he's as good as they get. And I've learned, I'm going to tell you something, I've learned a lot from old Eddie on, on setups and stuff there. But I, you got to watch Eddie when you're videoing him, because as soon as, as soon as that turkey gives him an opportunity, there ain't no pre-roll. He's going to shoot that turkey. <laughs> I can tell you that. He's not a professional TV guy. I mean, he will shoot that turkey. But that was my start in the hunting industry. And I have, I've just now told that story. I've told it, I think, on a couple different occasions. But uh, that's, that's how it all happened. Now, had it went the other way, and thank God she shot that turkey. She got that turkey. We got it. But, buddy, that was, that was quite an experience. And I don't think that's ever happened to me since. But... Uh, I knew that, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I don't know, some of y'all might have some crazy experiences like that. I'm, I'll tell you, we all, that's one thing about hunting, you, you know, we expect the unexpected sometimes. He's talking about your bear story, huh? 
I tell you, they can get on you too. But uh, now I'm here to talk about whatever you want to. Because if you've got any questions about videography on turkeys or bow hunting turkeys, uh, I shot my 89th Longbeard this year with with my bow in Kansas. I've I've been blessed to shoot 89 gobblers now with a bow, and so I, I can tell you how to run and gun them. I can tell you how to set up any way you know things that work for you, uh, what to do with your bow in certain occasions there. If you you know, you can always go to the old flower shop and rig you up something, you know, with those fake flowers and, and leaves, put around your, around your bow limbs and stuff like that. There's a lot of ways of doing it. Uh, most of the time I hunt turkeys out of a blind because you only have two or three, we're, we're always traveling, we only have about three days to hunt them. So I usually hunt them out of a blind and for several reasons, because I love to get all the camera angles of the turkeys coming in, they're getting the spitting and the drumming and stuff like that. But uh, you know, um, anything like that. And uh, we've got some, uh, I've used those solid broadheads now, and if you really like to get them close and shoot their heads off at about five yards, makes it, you know, and it's ethical. You just take their heads off and it's over with. Either hit or miss. Yeah, hit or miss, and believe you me, I've seen some misses. <laughs> yes, sir. Talk about Paul. Paul? 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 Yep. And techniques with. Uh, Archery. Archery on on the turkey. Now, to me, the in the fall, the turkeys don't seem like in the spring. They, it's amazing to me sometimes how much movement I can get away even from a tree stand. But you know, if you're hunting them in the fall, depending on if you're wanting to, are you are you wanting to run and gun? You think, or are you wanting to set up like a, a blind blind? I mean, obviously, turkeys normally where you get them figured out what they're coming to if they're coming to uh, in the Midwest, if they're coming to a grain field or something like that. The main thing in the fall with turkeys is you got to have patience. That's I would say that's probably one thing that you know, unless you know where they're roosting, if you can get them figured out, obviously where they're roosting, where they're coming to to feed. They got to feed and water every day, and you know, and get set up. And I'll tell you something else in the fall. Do not be afraid to use decoys. I'm telling you, I've seen, I've had some of the best fights of gobblers coming and attacking the decoys in the fall as I have in the spring. And you can use hand decoys. I mean, they'll come to them. They really will. It works good. It's just now when you're setting up your blind, the one thing about turkeys is movement. Even in a blind, just be careful with your movement and watch how you set up with it with the sun. Don't let that sun become a factor. If you're trying to hunt them in the afternoon when they're coming back, maybe going to roost, or if you're in the morning, you know, catching that sun out of the east coming around the, you know, out of the east, try to set it up where that sun won't be a problem for you in the blind. That's probably one of the main things you got to watch on that. Uh, what's that? What kind of calls do you do in the fall? In the fall? I mean, obviously, I, I'm not afraid. I, I'm, I'm a turkey call for me. That it's all about calling turkeys up. So I'm not bashful. Uh, I don't know if you if you can run a good mouth call and you can key key, but you know, even old gobbler yelps. Uh, a lot of times in the fall, them gobblers running in bachelor groups. And if you're just in that area where you know turkeys are going to frequent and you've got some visibility and you've seen them either on your trail cameras or seen them, you know, off with binoculars, you can make, you know, what I'm saying, you can make some calls and stuff. Don't don't be bashful. And I would I would highly recommend using a decoy. If if that way they come in, they got the attention 
off you and it's on the decoy. It makes it so much easier to draw when you're trying to do it with a bow. For sure. And I don't know if you're right-handed or left-handed. I've kind of got a theory of drawing my bow. I like to be on the left-hand side of the blind a little bit more. I get to my camera here because I'm always videoing. But this way, it don't, it, when I'm pulling back, you, you follow what I'm saying? You're not hitting the blind on this side. You're, you're more in the center of the blind with your drawing arm, if that makes sense. That's just something that I like to try to do is set up on that side. Sometimes you may not have that luxury of doing it, depending how you set up. Make sure that blind is, guys, make sure it's open. I mean, I, I never use the screen. I understand if you do, you know, if you're wanting to try to keep yourself hid, it don't bother me. I, I, I've learned enough over the years. I, I'm, because I'm always videoing for one thing out of the blind. But you can do that. You can leave the screen up. Uh, you might want to take a test shot or two just to make sure you're hitting good through there with your broadhead. A lot of guys say expandable broadheads will catch and do this. I don't know. I've, I've never shot one through a mesh. So I can't answer that part because I always keep my windows open. But I'm also tucked back as far as I can get. You know, where you can get drawn, where the arrow's not, hopefully not sticking out the blind too much. But that's where the decoy does come in. And they work in the fall just like they do in the spring. Don't think they don't. You can, but for me, now normally because I'm wanting to shoot a gobbler, and this is another good question, I'm going to have a gobbler decoy out there because those gobblers are running in them packs and if they see a new boy on the block, man, I'm telling you, it can be, it can be on. And especially you can do, you know, aggressive calling, fighting purrs, you know, and them old gobbler yelps and, and get them fired up. Man, I'm telling you, it can, it can be on. It really can. And it's a lot of fun. And in some states, now Kansas, and I do a lot of hunting in Kansas, they've limited it now to one per fall. And that was one of the things I loved about Kansas. It used to be four, but their population's not what it once was. It's not, so it's it's one in the fall now. And I've heard they're thinking about totally cutting the fall season out. Coyotes? Coyotes is bad. Y'all coyotes and coons, I'm just telling you, encouraging you. I've got trail cameras where I've got 25 coons in one picture. It's it, We don't realize how, how bad it is. Nobody hunts them, nobody traps them, but I'm gonna have to make it a mission on some of the places I hunt because they they are hard on those hens when when they're nesting. It's it's bad. And Kansas, for instance, is a feed state. They can even feed in the spring, not on public land, but on private land. And what happens is those hens will nest close to where they come in to feed. Well, those darn coons are too, and that's that's what happens. You're getting them in close to those nesting areas, and they gonna bust them up. It, it's sad. I mean, I can't tell you in a, in a I mean, I'll start in March and run through May 31st. Guys, it's unreal how many hen nests I find broken up and busted <coughs> eggs and stuff. It, it's just, it is mind-boggling. But you're right, but that's a good question. Anybody else got any questions on anything we're talking about? Yes, sir. When you get your blind set up, you're using the decoy? Yep. I've heard that if you had your decoy facing out away to the field that they sit out there and strut. Does that matter? Do you Guys, I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I usually set them up 
if it's if it's a pretty aggressive turkey, it's kind of like deer hunting. If he's aggressive and he's got that attitude, he comes in kind of to the head. But if you got one out there that's timid, he's he may circle it a little bit and you know size it up and and may not even come in there and jump on it. The main thing for me is it just takes the attention to where you can draw your bow if you're bow hunting, but even gun hunting. It just takes the attention off. And I like the fact that I'm calling him in and he's seeing that decoy, you know. It just, it, and I usually will try to milk the footage. I understand as a hunter, if he gets in there and he gives you the opportunity, you're going to shoot him. And I get that. That's what it's all about. For us, we're trying to teach and inform and educate you and let the turkey, you know, hammer on the decoy or whatever. And, and honestly, that has taught me more about the turkey behavior. Guys, I, I, this is the truth. I, this fall, I'm, in a, I'm deer hunting, got my buck decoy out here. Three gobblers come. What it was, I seen them up there, and I just give them some yelps up there. And darn if they didn't come down here and they saw that decoy. Now, I'm, here's another thing. Deer decoys and turkey decoys work good together in a situation. If you're hunting turkeys, a deer decoy, I think they feel a calmness around one another. They ain't, everything's okay. Well, these three gobblers come in and they come up here. Here I am in a tree stand. I'm self-videoing. I've got four or five cameras running here. I got one over the head, one here on, two on the bow, and then I got the big camera. And then here's what I do in my situations in this, in like this buck decoy. I've got covert trail cameras set up on video mode to get those little POV angles of the buck coming in from different angles. I use trail cameras because I don't have to worry about them coming on. They're going to come on. They're going to kick on for me. So in this situation, these three gobblers are coming in out here, and I don't know how i done it, but I managed to get drawn and shoot that gobbler. He goes out there. He falls dead. There and I'm sitting there while well, I'm still deer hunting. Those other two gobblers, his buddies go over there. You know how they'll do? They'll go over there and kind of jump on him and they'll pick his head up and then everything. This went on for about an hour. And then those two got into it and pushed and shoved and had their necks locked forever. Well, then they go plumb out of sight from me. Right before dark, I hear them and here they come back to check on their buddy. They get right down there on him, and this one stays in full strut, squats down. The other one is trying to pick his buddy's head up and saying, oh, man, it's time to go to roost. And y'all, they sat there until it was so dark, I couldn't even see them before they flew up, waiting on that other gobbler. And it kind of had a little remorse about the situation, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know, here I am. I, I just took their buddy out. But I will say this. He was some dang good eating because we eat him for Thanksgiving and it was a, it was a great hunt for me I just I, I got a you know and uh, anyhow that's that's just one of the things you know that you can do I mean I love the fall hunting but it's getting tougher because y'all I'm seeing the turkey populations decline all across the country and I don't know why and nobody can give you an answer they're just not where I'm from in Arkansas we had we last year I think we, it was the record low kill for us there at home it, it was it was terrible, and um, but I don't know what the answer is. But I think one of the main things is is predators, and I highly encourage you guys. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things. I think armadillos. I think wild hogs. I think coons. Number one, coyotes, bobcats. Any of those is probably 
a factor, but we're going to have to do something about the coons. I can tell you that it's it's unbelievable. I've got I, I run trail cameras year round, and I know pretty much how many coons and stuff. I'm going to have to break down and start going in there and catch them, because nobody coon hunting no more. Nobody's trapping, but. Uh, and then, of course, all these wet springs we've been getting the last two or three years seems to, to have an effect on the hatches as well, I'm sure. Probably a combination of a lot of things. Are y'all seeing that same thing, too? I mean, I mean, and I don't think we got any more hunters than we did 10 years ago. Matter of fact, I don't think there's as many people hunting. I think we're losing the numbers there. The CWDs had a major, major issue in my area. I think the hunter numbers this year weren't what they were, you know, but uh, we're going to have to plug along. Anybody else? Man, keep going. Let's just keep this going. Yes, sir. Shifting gears a little bit, can you talk about turkeys and how they range? I've had a lot of experiences where I'm covered up with birds and then I go to hunt them, they're all gone. And then you get in deer season you have 20 hens and no gobblers I, I, I can and there again it depends on you know whether you can hunt the properties where they go but you know the three things that turkeys have to have and that's food cover and water but one thing I've noticed hens like it seems like in the spring they find those places that they like to nest and they'll go back to that you'll have them there in the fall and I'll tell you turkeys travel a lot farther than we th think I was just talking to a guy from New York where they had one banded and I, I never knew this they had a gobbler that was banded and he tra this is in New York in the mountains traveled 36 miles he was 13 years old when he was killed Inch and a quarter spurs, so that tells you that there's, that's another thing just like whitetail. It's a genetics thing on the spur issue. I don't think you can always tell just exactly the age of the turkey. I think there's places where they, look at Florida, look at their Osceolas, look at how good they grow their spurs. And then, you know, you take places like where I'm from in the mountains, those turkeys don't have very good spurs for the most part. Yeah. I'm Oklahoma. I'm close Oklahoma, yep, yep. Uh, yours is eastern there, kind of where you're at, don't it, or are they kind of a hybrid? Well, they're a hybrid, but we can find either one, right? depending on where you shift in the state. Now, one thing I found about turkeys, you know, hunting Osceolas, hunting Merriams, Rios, I don't think you can call too much to a Merriam or a Rio. I don't think, I mean, honestly don't. I think the more you call, the better chance you got. They're aggressive. Uh, to the calling behavior, but boy, you get on some of these easterns, buddy. You better be careful how, what you're doing and how much you do it, especially later in the season. If they've been, because I cut my teeth on public land there at home. We've got all kinds of public land, and that's how I cut my teeth. And I'm telling you, them old turkeys. It's funny, you know. You may hunt an old gobbler four or five days, and you can't do nothing with him. You go in there. Four or five days later, hit hit a call and he just comes running in. I don't know what makes them like it, but you catching him right. Yeah. You know, as Eddie Salter says, you get now you get to throw him over your back and 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 piggy, give him a piggyback ride to your truck. You know, <laughs> that's what we're all hoping for. But uh, no, that's a that's a good question. I think what you have to watch there is your mass crops. What kind of um, acorn crop? Of course, in Oklahoma, you may not have them, but where you're at, you probably do. Don't you have those scrub oaks? Yeah. 
and they last a pretty good, you know, them turkeys will feed all up into February, March, and even even the acorns that's ruined, they'll have worms in them and stuff a lot of times they're getting them. When I'm starting, if I go into a new area, usually I like to start on a north slope because it starts greening up a little bit. If it's got a little bit of a north slope and got water on it, if I, you know, just went into a place, look at your maps and stuff there. But uh, depending on the terrain, you know, uh, roosting areas, I know we're like Oklahoma, especially western Oklahoma, buddy, you're, you know, you're, you're limited to where they roost. And it's just little things like that. But I mean, to me, my scouting, where I'm from in the mountains, I always start two or three weeks early. And I get up on those high, I get on, on old dirt roads on that public land. I'll just go down through there every little bit where a holler is and I'll stop and hoot. I may even hit a call, but I'm not gonna stand there and try to call him up. I try to get a, a gobble and, and, and make a note. And I usually do that later, because if you start too early, by the time season rolls around, he may be three or four ridges over. He may have changed his territory completely, because he's probably going to be where the hens are and uh, where they're going to nest and stuff. So it's the little things. I, to me, that's what I'm, probably my scouting is as much as getting out there, grabbing you a good owl call or something or, or a crow call and trying to get one to shock gobble and, and mark it down. And there's so many ways of looking at it now. You got onyx maps and stuff now. You can you can pull it up and find out if there's if it's on private land who it is. Give you a chance to go knock on a door, you know, and stuff like that. It'll tell you the person's name. You go there, and who knows? You may get permission that way. And always mark down. If you see a flock of turkey somewhere, put a mental note, mark it down or something, and, and for later reference, where do you either go get permission or, where, or maybe you can go hunt them, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I know in the fall, you know, the turkeys are, they, they start busting up, you know, right there in that spring ritual when you get into it. And you may have had five or ten gobblers in one bunch in here, but boy, when now comes spring, they, they're, they're going to be dispersed out. And you may have one, two or three running with, with the main shredder that's with all the hens. But that's another thing. There's probably, turkeys are just like, I tell you this in my opinion, especially where I was born and raised there, I think those gobblers are kind of like an old buck in rut. I think they'll travel looking for hens and stuff, especially the ones that, those satellite gobblers that don't get to do a lot of the breeding. They're going to they gonna go looking. And I know, I know in areas like where I live right there at my house, usually early season they're not there, but, but toward the end of the season, a lot of times there's an old gobbler or two that'll slip in there. And I get a chance to, so, so just because you didn't hear it, turkey there or see any sign you might want to go back to three weeks later because they're changing their habits as, as we get further into the spring or pressure you know another thing pressure maybe people going in and things like that you might want to consider that anybody else got any questions here let's keep this ball game rolling man oh all kinds are right here I'm jumping back to the predator thing yes sir we were in West Virginia last year hunting. We had snow the first five days of the season. You could actually track a turkey, you know. So one night, my buddy and me took a little circle. I said, let's walk out this old point where we used to hunt. We just walked a little ways, and there's a fresh gobbler track come up over the hill, and he scratched a few times, you know. And I said, okay, in the morning, you, you go after him. 
So he went in there in the morning, it was real cold, didn't hear anything. He made a little circle, you know, he, he followed the tracks to where the turkey roosted. Right. He seen where, the, where he flew up, he, he made a circle, picked his track up. He didn't follow that turkey about 200 yards. It's laying there dead on its back like this, just laying in the snow. Just looked like that turkey walked, had a heart attack and fell over. There was no flapping, nothing. Okay, and he wow. went back at noon and he said, I got something that I gotta show you. So we, he took me back. Back here to show you? And we took pictures of stuff. It had to be either an eagle or an owl killed it because its head was, it, we figured, but the, there was, there was tracks in a circle about four feet. We couldn't make the tracks up. They were almost like you took a stick and stuck in the snow. You couldn't see a plain track, but it looked like an owl or an eagle. And there is a pair of eagles in this valley. Okay, we see them in deer season there. 30 years ago, we had no eagles there. You know, now there's a lot of eagles around. Now, eagles it will. An owl or an eagle, but it, it took the head off. The, the head was missing. And it's just laying there. And I'll bet you anything it was an eagle. Clean. The neck, the, the neck, but you know, the whole neck was picked, all the meat was off, just the bone on it. Really? The, the turkey wasn't touched. And that turkey had spurs an inch and a quarter long. Mm -hmm. He's one of the nicest gobblers on the mountain. And he died that morning that we have, that he happened to track him. So wow. So we after that turkey. Even if you heard him before season, he just disappears. And I think there's more of them getting killed that way too because of the, the, Birds of prey, even. That's know, that's you know, something. I, we're not sure what it was, but y'all hearing all this? That's that's crazy. That's a. I I bet you anything. That's a eagle. He never flapped. There was just the, there was just those tracks in a circle. But that thing was laying there. It didn't even flap its wings. It's like whatever grabbed it, paralyzed it. It didn't even move. It it just died like that. The reason I think what you're telling me, I think that's the reason. I think it's an eagle, is. I've heard this. Now, I've not personally seen this, but I hear that when they come swooping down like that, them turkeys will just hunker down. And, I mean, they just hammer them. I've had guys tell me, I don't know how much legit this is, but I think it's pretty legit. They're at home. Um, they're talking about the eagles coming in, and a guy watched an eagle come in. The turkeys were out in the middle of the field, and they just all hunkered down. He said that that eagle killed every single turkey in that field. And never eat them or nothing. Well, see, they're done. Way exactly what you were talking about. You know, this is the second week of April. There, third week of April. Uh, the young are hatched out there. You know, so they got young ones to feed. So right. the head was missing. It was gone. And all that's that's something. But that amazed me. I learned something there. That can be why the turkeys are... Uh, I'm, I'm telling you right now, yeah, and of course the eagles are, you know, protected. <laughs> That's a federal offense there for sure. Yes, sir? Going back to the predator Yeah, the predator? Let me get back here where I can hear what you're saying, old buddy. The bobcats? Four years ago, reintroduced bobcats. Since then, our populations went down. And this is where? In state of Indiana. Indiana. These bobcats are turkey killing machines. Oh, I, 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 that I don't doubt a bit. Y'all hear that? He said they 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 released a bunch of bobcats in your area, trying to reintroduce them. Radio collars and they're protected. You cannot kill them. I got you. Protected radio collars. Well, there's no doubt about it. Bobcats can be tough on them. Um, everything in the world is against turkeys. You stop and think about it. I don't know how we have any. 
I mean, that, with the hands on the nest. And I, and I found, over the years, I found, you know, how I handle nests like that. I, I can't tell you how many I found actually dead on her nest where something has caught her. And, and, and killed her right there. And there's the feathers and the evidence and there's the nest. And I've seen that. But, uh, yeah. If I had one thing to tell you guys is... is Predators. I mean, there's no question that's the biggest effect on our turkey. I, I, because just stop and think about it. Even back when our turkey populations were at, at an all-time high, we were dealing with weather conditions back then. I mean, you're always going to deal with, with rain and things like that. But we don't have... We haven't never had predators like we have predators today. That much I can tell you. I mean, I run too many cameras that tell me what's going on. And areas where I know that there's a high wild hog density seems to affect them some. Uh, I think they get in, they occasionally will root around to find a nest, and when they do, I mean, obviously they're going to bust it up. I think that uh, armadillos are a big problem. And they're starting, I saw one in north central Kansas this year. Uh, armadillo. They're, they're starting to spread. And I don't know how much effect they would have on turkeys. Probably nothing like coons or possums or skunks. Skunks are another big one, you know, probably a situation. But coons are by far, I think, our number one predator. Coyotes, too. Um, that's the two things I'd say that we need to work on. All of us. And I'm, I'm going to have to learn how to, to, to really get back into trapping. I used to trap as a kid, and I've just kind of got away from it, man. Everybody has. That's, that's the issues. And I don't know that you can, you know, predator hunting, I think, is great. But if you don't, the one thing I've learned about predator hunting over the years You'll get in there and you'll kill those coyotes and stuff, but you're not going to kill all of them. You're not going to put a den in them. You're going to have to trap them if you really want to take care of the issue. And even then, they're hard to trap. But guys, there's a lot of guys got it figured out and stuff there. And and I and I don't consider myself a professional trapper by no means. But yes, sir. Uh, my neighbor and I, the last uh, ten years, so we've been trapping year-round because we're on, on our own property and they damage. So year-round on your own property? Yeah, we're getting, uh, up until three years ago, we're getting about 100 a year between the two of us, 100 raccoons. And Isn't that crazy, 100 started, raccoons? They start tapering down to now about 50 to 75 a year. But so you're getting it down some. Some and uh, coyotes, we use the snares. Yep, that's what I was going to say, the and snares for the coyotes. We use the snares and... Uh, I've got usually about seven or eight coyotes a year plus another four or five fox. That helps, but man, I, I, got, I got nine and a half acres, so it's not. Nine and a half acres? And you caught a hundred coons on nine and a half acres? My neighbor and I, yeah. Wow. That's, that, that, that's good. You're taking care of the problem. Y'all hear that? He, in a year's time, they've caught over a hundred coons, and it's, he's got nine and a half acres. That's, that's what we are telling. Yes, sir. Um, switching gears. You know, morning uh, turkeys are gobbling. Yes, sir. Just started year hunting. They shut up. Why don't you go on from that point where they, all of a sudden they went silent for a while okay. in uh, in probably late April. That 
mid to late April, and now we've get hit that quiet. They're with their hens. So, what are your hunting techniques now okay. for the next hour, or hour and a half? Okay. What what kind of are you hunting? Midwestern agriculture. Okay. Midwest. Uh, uh, borders a uh, river buff, so we've got uh, about a hundred, hundred and fifty foot drop off into a bottoms, and then the top parts agriculture. Are you able to hunt all day? Uh, no, that's. That, that hurts. Okay. But the, most of the time, we'll either hunt first thing in the morning, go to work. Oh, okay. And then gotcha. I understand we have to quit then. But I'm saying when you do have that extra hour to, to, yep. to let's say 10 o'clock, 10:30, what are you going to do from that uh, 7 a.m. to 8:30, where now it's kind of quiet? And do you, you 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 can do one of two things. I mean, if you've got if you don't have patience, then I'm going to get up and leave back out. And I'm either going to go try to find me a turkey that will gobble, or I'm going to go where I think that they're going. The key to killing turkeys, guys, I mean, if you get nothing else out of this, if you get in between where a turkey is and where he wants to go, that's 90% of it. Okay. So when you're, what you're telling me, are you thinking they're going to end up in those agriculture we're, fields? We're on private land. Yep. The way we look at it is that we just wait for another day till the turkey wants sure, to die. Sure, because you don't want to pressure them. Because we're and not going to pressure this place. So, But, you know, the other thing is when you guys, when they do go silent for a period of time, I presume they're following the hens. And at what time do you kind of professional guys start to see that leaving off to going nesting? Yeah, usually, you know, any time after 10 o'clock, in my opinion, is, is when them hens are going to start slipping so off. So 10 to noon is yep. another time to maybe go back out and try? I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been doing this a long time. I kill more turkeys in the afternoon than I did in the morning, especially if I'm after that particular gobbler. Uh, Afternoon, late afternoon, or you're talking about after the key lunch? Where, where you're at, uh, usually after yeah, lunch, midway, you know, midday, midday hunting is as good as it gets, and you're gonna catch them where they're loafing and stuff like that. In some states, you can't do it, and that's why I was asking you yeah, your time, you know, like Missouri hunting there and stuff, it's one o'clock. But for me, if I'm going in to hunt turkeys and I'm gonna go in there like you're going in, get in as tight as you possibly can. We're, I mean, you got to get into that bubble, that, and, and as tight as you can. You don't have to do a lot of calling, just to let them know you're there. But that's that's the whole key is getting in because when they pitch down, they either want to come right to a hen right then. That now obviously, if you're close at hand and stuff, and that's where you may shoot uh, when they're still bunched up. That may be where you shoot a satellite gobbler, one of them that'll come into you. But the whole key is getting into that bubble. Get as tight as you possibly can. With without where you think you're going to spook them. If you've got a little foliage, that's going to help you. Early season's tough a lot on that because you don't have any foliage. Right. Um, you know, and you have to play that. Play the terrain. Play the terrain. Get in a, a ditch or something to get around where you can just, you know, pop up on a little flat or whatever there to, to get in those areas. But that's the whole key, guys. I'm telling you, get as tight as you possibly can. That, that's going to make a difference. After you've gotten in tight, or you've done that, and we're not successful, or you can't go first thing in the morning. Something yep, happens, yep, yep. But you still want to go for a while. Yep. Um, how do you, are you blind? Are you kind of driving, looking a little bit, kind of spotting and trying to find some turkeys that you can work? Or do you just kind of go into an area and start calling? You, you can. Um, 
just remember if you're calling to a turkey make sure you got a tree or some cover before you start hitting that call because one may just be right there and where you can get set down play that smart but yeah I'm 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 a kind of guy I want to make something happen but I also understand patience is a virtue a lot of times on property that you're going to be hunting every day and you're limited to that particular property yeah we usually just will back out and wait for that there you go and and, and another the only other thing I could say is think about where you think the turkeys might be going and maybe try to get around ahead of them if you got a little time just get down there and set up just a lot of times just by relocating and calling can make all the difference in the world where he wants wants to go to you you have mountains and block I mean this unique situation for us is basically flatland on top with a large bluff that goes down to bottom as long as we've hunted it it seems like some days they come back out on the top and the next day you set up you so you scout and you go there yep. and, the next very and they're day, up there yeah. they fly to the bottom and it's like you know it's somewhat you do you don't and I know it's hunting yeah I just don't know what preferences do you normally see with turkey so they're going to try to pitch up and then land on the on the higher easier to fly down and then walk down or are they going to just coast down to the bottom of a well obviously they're going to the field going down off the bluff to to, to feed in the grain field right yeah well there's problem is there's grain fields on both sides oh on both sides of the bluff yeah, river oh bottom. boy so it's river bottom grain okay field. i got you and when it's you're intense agriculture river boy you know it's it's tough without seeing what you're talking yeah. about but um Man, I, I don't know. Um, in my situation, I would probably stay back to off, call to them to get them to gobble to figure out what they're doing in. I'm not pressuring them. I'm staying back to kind of see what they're doing or hit a crow call or, or something to, to get them to gobble is to kind of figure out what they're doing. If, and, and then either either you back out and don't don't mess with them there and try to go back in there the next day or if you got a little time just slip around you can always you know the old saying goes you can stay safe and kind of see what they're doing then you can ease around especially if you know the terrain to where you can move in a little bit tighter but the whole key killing turkeys I mean is is getting as tight as you possibly can without bumping them obviously and and when they're in those groups it's tough it's tough sometimes that's why getting in there before daylight that you know getting that first turkey to gobble I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on top of him pretty close okay and you can get away with a lot more then they because they hear deer and coons and everything else you know from from the tree on the ground as long as it's dark and they don't make your form out you know you just try to be as quiet as you can slip in and and there again hopefully you can get it set up where that sun's not going to pop up right in your face you know uh, to make it a little bit easier for you you know and not being spotted Right. Okay. But I'm telling you, that's the key. You're getting in tight like that. Okay. And if you can't, just try to get in between where they're at and where you think they're going to go. Okay. There ain't nothing 100%. We know that. Just no. when you think you got a turkey figured out, that son of a gun's going to do just the opposite. opposite. Just plain and simple. And uh, that's 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 why, why they call it hunting, you know. And then, and for sure. But uh, you know, uh, get up there when you get up there in that tree there. If you're close enough. Scratching the leaves a little bit. That works anywhere. If you've got anything there, make, make a little more scratch like a turkey or something. Your second you know question then it would be, uh, you get off, uh, you get a chance to go at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the afternoon mm -hmm. until dark. How would you approach uh, well, that type of I would. Yeah, you if you think you know where, you, where they're going to roost, 
get get in pretty you know pretty close to that roosting area you know get in pretty close to where you think he's going to roost or where they're coming from maybe I don't know where you can get a visible visual on them out there in that field or something and watch which where they're going and and try to intercept them they're again going back to that getting in between you know where yep they are and where they're, they're going back we're in the area where you think they're roosting and a lot of times they don't roost in the same tree not unless you're in western Oklahoma or something you know or out west somewhere they a lot of times they don't roost in the same tree at least they don't in my area but uh, yeah good question though heck yeah man anybody else here what else we got I mean bow hunting camera anybody like to video their hunts anymore man you got your cell phones you can they've got gadgets now you can just set your cell phones up and and have it pointed towards you and just hit record you know that's that's I mean that that's 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 the fun part especially when you got a kid if nothing else get his reaction you know it's always something that'll stay with you but I, I don't do anything without video on it I just it doesn't matter what I do or where I'm at I've always got a camera but that helps me document a lot of things and stuff too but um, and then go back and reminisce over the, what just happened. You betcha. Any, any questions about calling or, or yep, yes sir. I find myself hunting out the tent more than what I ever did because I've got my son with me. Exactly. Everybody has, I think. I'm not real, I was, anytime I had a blind, I usually made a blind, brush it in. Do you think it's better to set a blind up more in the open where the turkeys can see it? Or do you think that you need to brush it in like I would if I was a deer? Are you using the decoy? We do a lot. Yes. Decoy, anytime you got a visual for, for the turkeys, I think you're better off, you know, tuck them in. One thing I've learned about turkey hunting, I can set a blind up for the most part, 99% of the time, right out in the middle of a wide open field. Turkeys don't, they can see great and they see movement, but they don't have any depth of perception, if that makes any sense. I think you can get away with a lot. The main thing is I try to play that sun where it won't become a, an issue for the most part because then you get that sun in on you, they're going to catch any little movement. I, I've had turkeys walk right up to me. As long as you don't move and there's just not something sticking out bright or anything like that, it's amazing what you can get away with. That's one thing I've learned. But buddy, you blink your eyes, they can catch that. Just the blink of an eye. Just that movement. Buddy and I mean they're right on it. That's that's one thing I'll have to say. And and they're usually not curious, especially the older turkeys, you know, that's the thing. But uh yeah, and, and but ground blind hunting has really gotten more popular, and it is a good way to introduce someone new to the sport too. And then, you know, if you're hunting a small piece of property, I love running and gunning. I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, I love it. But boy, you've got to have a lot of country that you can hunt and cover. That's the whole thing. And if if you've got, I'm telling you, when when I was up there at Kirksville. You've got Eddie Salter and Alex Rutledge and me and Matt Moret and this guys up there on 1900 acres and Jack Colonel Jack Oliver. We all taking everybody hunting out there and we're running and gunning. It don't take long, buddy. Them turkeys shut down. I mean, T totally shut down. So you have to think about that. I love it. Don't get me wrong, but you've got to kind of play it smart too, you know, when you're when you're doing that. Because if you're just running and gunning and calling, and and, and that's what we did. We sold turkey calls at HS Struts, you know. So 
But anyhow, that's that's something to think about. But yeah, I love the blind situation for kids. I do a lot of stuff with special needs kids and our wounded vets and stuff. Like, and it just works out so good for me to be able to do that. And I'll tell you a secret I do. And a lot of you guys say, well, I don't like blind hunting and I don't have the patience for it. This is a, something I do all the time. I set that blind up and I'll do a little calling. If I'm not hearing nothing and it's starting to get late in the morning, I get out of that blind and I make me a 360. And I just take my box call or whatever you want to call with, your box or your slate glass, and I start cutting and yelping and try to get something fired up and drag them in. I can't tell you how many times I've uh, kill turkeys like it. So you kind of can get the best of both worlds. You can drag them right into your setup. And that's why I say the visibility with the decoy, you know, that's just going to help you get him on in, hopefully where he won't hang up out there at 50, 75 yards and, and won't give you that shot. But that's that's one of the things I'd have to say with blind hunting. Don't be afraid to do that. And it, I can't tell you how many times how many times it's worked and I do that all the time when I got a special needs kid in a wheelchair and ain't nothing going on and, and it's it's hard to sit there and and keep them occupied especially when you know you're trying to sit there for a long period of time so that's something I try to do I just I'm, I'm all about calling anything I do I'm aggressive and I'm calling now there's a time to back off we all realize that on a particular turkey and I let him tell me how to take his temperature and, and how to hunt him sometimes depending on that it, it depends on the situation uh, gosh if if I just had to pick one decoy for everybody overall it would probably be a hen because I don't think you're going to hardly spook them but sometimes a, a, a full fan or something you got some gobblers that just won't commit to it you know it just depends on, you know, if he's aggressive or if he's timid. Um, Easterns probably are the most aggressive on the decoys once they decide to commit. Because when they do, they come in and thump on it. But now out west, I think I think if I was going to tell somebody to go hunt out west somewhere, if they're hunting a Merriam's or a Rio, probably would go with a hen. But now a lot of times, Rio's especially, you, you with, with a Jake decoy, and I, I would probably recommend just a, I use DSD decoys. And I would probably recommend using a Jake decoy uh, overall as opposed to a full strutter. A full strutter's great. Now when you get that gobbler has got that attitude, son, ain't nothing like it. He'll come in and, but I think overall you're going to get more gobblers maybe that timid gobbler to come into that jake like that so that's that's a good question but uh, decoys have also made i mean guys man when i started turkey hunting back in the years i mean it's come so far so evolved with the turkey calling i you know how i learned how to turkey call anybody ever heard of ben rogers lee well him and i ended up being pretty good buddies but how i learned to turkey call is when he first come out of that cassette tape that's how I learned it. I'd play that son of a gun back and forth to work and every chance I got. And I didn't because nobody turkey hunted where, where we were at. We really didn't have any turkeys. And that's how I started learning how to do it. And I'm telling you, 
all these years. I wish that you guys are, are kind of blessed to be able to be in this situation because you don't have to work at it as hard as like I did back in the day to try to catch up to where we are now because it's come a long way with the calling, the calls they've got, the blinds, the decoys. Holy smokes. It's <laughs> Yes, sir. The old hunters wouldn't tell you a thing. You had to learn it on your own. That's right. That's a, and, and you know what? I'll tell you another thing. If you did know a good turkey hunter, he wasn't going to tell you nothing, buddy. I'm, I'm, I knew a couple old guys there at home, buddy. I mean, they were secret. They wouldn't tell you nothing. I had to, I had to get out there on my own and, and learn how to do it. But I'll tell you what, though, the trials and tribulations that you go through and all the mistakes you made, I shouldn't even tell this on myself because... I mean, this has been 40 years, no, it's been longer than that, 45 years ago. When I first started turkey hunting, you know, they're saying shoot them with a number four or number six. Well, we didn't have those old big three-inch magnum, then all two and three-quarter. Well, I had an old 16-gauge 1100 and still got it. It was my daddy's. But uh, I took that thing and, and they said, well, you need a number four or number six. Well, crap, I had a whole bunch of number one buckshot. Well, I thought, man, that's why in the world would I want to shoot it with that light load? And I didn't know at the time you, you're supposed to shoot them right in the head. The first, I can't tell you how many gobblers I shot flew off. And I didn't get up there in the mountains because I was shooting them in the body and roll them, but they'd get off and get away from me. I didn't know any better. And I probably shouldn't tell my game warden buddies that, you know. I mean, that's been that long ago. I wasn't trying to violate the law so much as I wanted to make sure I killed a turkey. But it took me that long to figure that out. And the first gobbler I ever killed, I, I, the reason I got him, because two of those pellets broke his legs. And I got, got a hold of him. That's the truth. So don't ever try, if I'm just telling you right now, don't ever try buckshot on turkeys. I mean... You might get lucky and kill them, but I'm just telling you, I went through quite the ordeal <laughs> getting started, <laughs> for sure. But now once I did find out them fours and sixes worked, I got it figured out pretty good to shoot them in the head. Yes, sir? Do you ever uh, say you got a, you're working a gobbler and he just, kicked, he just hung up out there? Have you ever tried the, the fan? Oh, yes. You know... <laughs> The NWTF and, and HS, when I was with them, I, I will say this. Now, I'm not talking so much on myself as some of the guys I went with. I'm telling you, if you got a fan and you're showing it and you're moving it, it it's it, you don't need a turkey call. You don't have to have a call. I, I, if nothing else, he'll come on curiosity. But guys, it's dangerous and you got to be careful where you're doing it. I'm not going to tell you whether to do it or not do it. That's that's uh, your choice. Well, it's real dangerous on public land. Yes, sir. But if you've got a place where you're, you're hunting, you can get away with it. I, and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm, I'll tell off on myself and it's on my show. I was in Iowa last year. There's only a, there was a draw, a four-day hunt. We had zero, it, the temperatures were, it was unreal how cold it was. I'm down to the last day, I was bow hunting, and I grabbed my shotgun and I put me a fan on my shotgun. I shot that gobbler from me to you, right at the end of my gun barrel, coming to that. Now, he, don't get me wrong, I worked the calls, I called him all the way across the canyon, all the way up, and he's down there, and 
I had that, I never, all I done was raise it up and I'm in CRP and we ain't got no cover. We're caught. I was trying to get down there to get set up and call him in. And I said, heck, we ain't going to, I just had that fan up here on, and, and it's mounted on my shotgun. And I shot that guy, he come on a dead run and I shot that turkey at two yards. It's on video too. I took his head completely off. The wadding stuck in his back. That's how close he was. Just one other question. Yes, sir. Uh, if you're uh, if you're hunting and you uh, you set out your hen decoy and you use one of the uh, one of the decoys, what are you going to a real, a real fan on it, a full strut. Will that, will that scare that uh, gobbler away? Sometimes it does. Sometimes that's that's what I was saying. If I had to pick one, I'd probably just pick a Jake. If I'm, you know, if you're really worried about that, but now you get that right gobbler, he he will come in, and I mean he'll wear that thing out. But the next one come in, he may not want anything to do with it. It's 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 got about a 50-50 on that sometimes. Well, I'll tell you what I do. I, um, this is a tip and tactic that I've used for a long time because a strutting, especially a DSD, it's pretty good size and you put that fan in, it's hard to carry around and carry all the stuff that we carry because we're carrying camera equipment and stuff. But what I've done, HS used to have an old folding stake there out of carbon. Looks like a carbon arrow and fold out. Well, I would take those, uh, oh, what are the uh, clips, those... Uh, I guess uh, paper clips and big heavy duty paper clips, minor clips, yes, minor clips. And I will take that fan, not put it in a full strut, but about a half strut and clip it onto that and put it out there just like that. I have had more success with that because it moves, it'll move a little bit, and I've had a lot of success. Matter of fact, I use my DSD Jake decoy and then I'll put that fan back there. It's just easier for me to carry for one thing and it's easy to set up. I just keep that binder clip on that stake and I'm sure you could use any kind of stake. It, it just happens to be the one I'm using with a, that HS had there is, is uh, it's, it's a carbon. It's about the size of a carbon arrow and I just take that binder clip and clip it and you, and you actually use two and then you can put it it don't have to, sometimes they're not real pretty, but that ain't, I don't think it makes a bit of difference on that part. But you can almost make it look like a Jake, and, and that's kind of what I do with that, with that Jake, and I have had the best luck with that, doing that. And it's just easier for me to carry. That's just something that it, I learned on my own trying. And it's really, really worked. And I like it because it, it will move a little bit. You can, I mean, because it's stuck in the ground, but it, you can set that stake where if it just gets a little breeze, it just looks and it'll, and I think it just adds to that realism. But that's helped me a lot uh, doing it. But, um, you know, I don't know, um, going back to turkey hunting, I don't think, guys, it makes any difference whether you learn how to call with a mouth call, a box call, a slate. I'm, I will say this, I, I use all of them. And, of course, bow hunting, I nearly have to have my mouth calls for the most part to close the deal. I love a box call for locating. I don't think there's anything better than a good sounding box 
to locate and be aggressive and cut I, and, and cut on the box calling yelp. I do a lot of that. But um, slate and glass calls for your realistic sound and guys starting out wanting to do the cluck and the purr, you just can't beat them. I'm using lynch mob calls. We're at uh, booth 1023. If any of y'all want to come by, we've got... Um, they're, they're my title sponsor of the outdoor group and they, they have nine companies. They have Elite, Camex and Crossbows, they have the Solid Broadheads, Slick Trick Broadheads, Scott Releases, we've got deals on all that stuff over there, the Lynch Mob Turkey Calls lineup and stuff. So we have a, a good line of product. I'm with a very good company and what I love about it is American made products. Yes, sir. You remember that Ben Lee call that had an aluminum deal and he had a striker? Super Hen? The old, super, the old Super Hen? That's one of the best calls I ever used. I still got an old Ben Lee Super Hen, buddy, and, and you bet you. And Ben and I got to be pretty good buddies, and... Uh, and he would come to Springfield there at Bass Pro, and he'd come down there, and then he also got to be a good friend of Steve Cavender, a buddy of mine that makes the Cavender Greek seasoning, and he was in my hometown, and we used to hang out and stuff and visit and stuff. I'm telling you, Ben made a lot, he, he brought a lot of people into turkey hunting. There's nobody could tell a story like Ben Rogers Lee. He was a turkey fanatic and, and he loved it and uh, and that's how I learned how and we got to be good friends old Ben did but uh, yep uh, I still got that old super hen and oh yeah oh for close up calling on the clucks and purrs and them little soft yelps that turkey said you can't beat them you can't beat them anybody else I don't even know what time it is Two till. Yeah. Two till. Well, I tell you, I'm going to be at booth 1023, and I'm going to be here even tomorrow. But I, 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 I apologize that I couldn't do a full-blown-out seminar for you, because I think you'd love my video presentations, because I have supporting footage of all this stuff we talk about. But last but not least, let's make sure... Guys, our hunting is dying. I, I, I don't know how else to tell you, and everybody talks it, but they don't they don't walk the walk. If we don't get these youth involved in our with our kids and stuff now and start getting them involved in a in a young age, I don't know what we're gonna do. Um, I don't know how much longer. I'm just telling you, it's 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 crazy how I don't know where the future holds. I know this digital technology and speaking of di digital technology my show is The Virtue. I do 26 brand new episodes every year. It's on Carbon TV. It's a free app. You can get it on your phone. You've got a smart TV. You can watch it just like Netflix. It's called The Virtue. And we're blessed to have the number one show on there. And I've been on there for five years now. And we're going into our sixth year. But I, I think you will love what we do. I try to be real in what we do. I try to do three things. I try to entertain, inform, and educate you. But, and, and we're on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Philip Vanderpool, uh, I'm on there twice uh, with my um, personal account. And then I also have a public page. And then The Virtue. It's called the virtue because the virtue stands for everything we believe in and stand for. That's uh, that's kind of the saying. But um, we'd love to have you follow us and always remember I'm on there. And if you ever got any questions or problems, you can private message me on Facebook anytime, anywhere. If you run into a situation and I can help you out, I I will get back with you as soon as I get phone signal. And I get I, I'm doing ten brand new episodes this year, uh, turkey hunting. 
and uh, we'll have all that out there. I, I try to take kids and you'll get to see some youth hunts, but uh, bow hunts, and I'm hoping that you'll pick up some tips and tactics just off the show itself. We, we, and I work with uh, Realtree on their monster buck side. Y'all real quick, I shot the best deer right there at my home this year that I've ever been able to take. I was after him for three years. We don't have big deer in the Ozarks like that, but 185 inch 10 point. And truly blessed. And I shot him with my bow and self-videoed it. Um, Rhonda shot her best deer on our 40 acres. He's a big deer, isn't he? Look it up. It's yeah, he's, he's something. But truly blessed. And, and I've, I've been able to keep my head in the industry here for several years. But first and foremost, I put God first, y'all. And I want to leave you with, with this prayer, if you wouldn't mind, just real quick. It's a virtue prayer, and it kind of goes like this. Dear Lord, guide my spirit straight and true so that I may always give the glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. God bless. Come by booth 1023. We'd love to talk more deer and turkey. Anything that we can help you with, okay? Thank you. God bless. Appreciate you, buddy. Okay, I hope that you guys enjoyed that seminar. Philip was extremely kind to let Cameron mic him up and record the seminar for you guys. So did you happen to hear the comment about the 13-year-old turkey with inch and a quarter spurs from Philip? Now, I can say I've never heard of a turkey living that long, but I've also never asked one how old he is before I squeeze the trigger on him either. I'm going to speculate that someone may have gotten some bad information and shared that with Philip, but who am I to say? I'd love to hear from a researcher or biologist as to how old the oldest turkey that they have ever tracked is or was. I'm just curious because 13 years old seems like an awfully long time to me. And I think it's about double or almost double what the normal lifespan is for a turkey. Anyway, I think the entire point of that statement that Philip made was to talk about how far turkeys range. And I don't doubt how far that turkey traveled from where he was tagged or banded. That's pretty far for an Eastern to travel. Typically, the Rios and Merriams have a larger annual range than an eastern does, but maybe that particular eastern that Philip mentioned was headed south to Miami for retirement, like many New Yorkers do. Who knows? Okay, that's all that I've got for you guys this week, but before I cut you loose, I'm going to ask you to help me out with something. If you would, go to your podcast player application and click on the share button in your podcast player application, and you should have the option of sharing this episode to your timeline on Facebook and to your Twitter feed. And if you would do that for me, that'd be a huge help for the show and a huge help for me. And I'd be very appreciative. Right now, I've got to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. 
and stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.